Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we are thrilled to be interviewing Teen So. Well, how you doing, Ron? Good week. I'm great. I'm great, Ed. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, I, I know his book, uh, Subscribe, came out in 2018. I read it last year, and it certainly made my top list of best business books of the year. I think it made yours as well. So been really looking forward to this. It did. We've been we've been talking about this topic of subscribed and came across his book and it just fed fed fuel to the fire. But let me let me quick introduce him. Uh, Teen is the founder and chairman and CEO of Zora. And prior to that, he was chief strategy officer at Salesforce, born in Taiwan. And when he was three years old, his family left and moved to to the Flatbush section of Brooklyn. More on that in just a second. Teen also holds a BS in electrical, electrical engineering from Cornell and an MBA from Stanford's Graduate School of Business, where is he is a regular presenter in the classroom. Teen is the author of this book, as Ron mentioned, Subscribed, Why the Subscription Model Will Be Your Company's Future and What to Do About It, which is the primary subject of our conversation today. Uh, welcome to the, to the Soul of Enterprise, Teen So. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ed. Really excited to be on the show. Well, team, before we get started, I just want to make three connection points. One, I was born in Brooklyn, and my parents moved me out when I was when I was yeah. They moved me out when I was three. (laughs) So so you (laughs) went the other way. Yeah, went the other way. And I was uh, in the in uh, Cypress Hill section, so a little bit further east from 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 you. Um, And then Stanford University, we've had uh, Timothy Cho on as a guest. Do you know Timothy as well? Tim's great. Great. Okay, cool. So that, that's good. And the third connection, just curious because I, I, I had a quick uh, Facebook conversation with him. Uh, I went to, to, uh, to, to school uh, with Patrick Grady at um, Dean. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I, I got the inside scoop from Patrick on you that he said, he said oh, to no. say hello. <laughs> Patrick's a great guy. It's a great company. <laughs> yep. So anyway, just some interesting connection points there. But I, I want to jump right into the material now at, at, at this point. And um, one, the, as I said, your book was magnificent. Ron and I both oh, loved it and, and really, uh, again, have been marinating in the concepts for a while. But I want to start here. Uh, early on in the book, you say, we prefer outcomes over ownerships. We prefer customization, not standardization. We want constant improvement, not planned obsolescence. We want a new way to engage with business. We want services, not products. And then in some of the, 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 the TED Talks I've seen, you give, you talk about this concept of the end of ownership. And by this, you don't mean some socialist utopia where there's no property, right? Just to clarify. That's right. That's right. That's uh, right. Talk a little about, about, about the end of ownership, though. Well, you know, you know I mean, there's, there's so much that, that, that we do that's anchored on this whole idea of a product. And, and it wasn't always this way, right? It, it used to be, you know, a couple hundred years ago, if you needed something, you go to your local vendor, your local merchant, right? It'd be the blacksmith, it'd be the butcher, right? Somebody who owns this craft. 
and you would get services, you would know each other. And then about 120 years ago, with the advent of this concept called mass production, businesses shifted. Businesses shifted, and, and, and their whole purpose became, let's come up with a hit product and let's ship or sell the same product over and over and over again. Because if I can do that, if I can sell the most number of units, then what I can do is I can take my fixed costs, right? I can take the biggest factories, the most number of stores, the the, the biggest fleet, and I can distribute that over as many units as I can, thereby reducing the marginal cost, if you will. And that's how I compete. And that was born the product economy. And you, I, you know, all of us grew up in the product economies. We've been trained to say you have to buy a product to figure out what you really want. And then there came this thing called digital, right? This digital revolution, this internet, mobile phones, cloud computing, all that stuff. And all of a sudden we realized, you know what? I don't need to do that. If I want to get from point A to point B, I don't really have to own a car and worry about, you know, when's the last time I serviced it? Does it have gas in the tank? Is my insurance up to date? Where is it parked? When is the parking lot going to close, right? I could just whip out my phone, say, I'm over here at point A. I want to get to point B. And something magically arrives to help me do that. A car, a scooter, a plane, whatever it happens to be. Or if I just want some entertainment, I don't have to buy DVDs, right? Shell out all this cash and pick and choose which movie I'm going to spend my money on. I can just fire up Netflix, browse through all the movies in the world, fire up Spotify, browse through all the songs in the world and get what I really want, which is entertainment. And that's what we mean by outcomes, right? This whole idea of having to own something to get the outcome that we truly want is, is, is really, really quickly becoming outdated. And we call this the subscription economy or the end of ownership, if you will. And, and that's great. Thanks, thanks for setting that up. Ron and I have been having a lot of fun applying your ideas to some of the folks that we work with, which is professional firms. And sure. one of the things that Ron has talked about for years is ending this notion of selling what is a rival asset, and that is the billable hour, right, which most professional firms have yeah. grown up on for years. And selling instead a non-rival asset, which is this access to or transfer of knowledge, right? And one of the things that we're having fun with is applying these ideas. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind addressing this notion of um, how would one apply the the idea of subscription to this idea of a non-rival asset? It's not really a, a thing, so to speak, but an implementation or a tax return or, well, I guess tax return sort of is, but really the, the, the knowledge of um, implementing software, let's say, uh, and that, the, the challenge that we face there. So what are your thoughts around that, applying this to, to non-rival assets? Well, we've got a great story with Deloitte, and this is the Deloitte Audit Group uh, down in Australia, New Zealand. And they did a, bit, a bit, did a big study of what industries are most vulnerable to digital transformation. And surprise, surprise, one of the top ones that brought it up to the top was their own industry, the professional services industry. And you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's, it's this whole concept of selling a unit of a product is so pervasive. We don't, we're not even aware of it. And so if you're trying to sell knowledge, well, what is the product that you sell? And these professional first services firms says, we're going to sell an hour of time. Right? That's going to be our unit. And let's put a price on the hour of time. And then what happens? What happens is you start competing against a price for a dollar uh, for an hour of time. And then it's hard to compete. And so what they started seeing is there's a lot of other low-cost vendors, right, in, in emerging countries that are taking away their, audit, you know, their, their tax business, their audit business, right, because they can offer per hour in a, in a much cheaper way. And so it's slowly eroding their business. But so when they say that we're going to change the model. 
we're going to change the model. What we really do is we don't provide an hour of service. We provide bookkeeping, financial statement generation. And so we're going to do all this for a flat monthly fee. And so we're going to go to our customers and say, look, you don't need to hire that bookkeeper. We'll do this all for you at a flat monthly fee that makes sense for you. Right. And then we're going to, we'll figure out how to do it in the most sustainable, economic, efficient way possible. So, of course, what do they start doing? They start investing in technology. They start building a technology where they're going to go into the QuickBooks or the Zero or the NetSuite, pull all the information Or the they Sages. Need. Or the Sages. The Sages, of course. <laughs> uh, of course. This is a great, great product, right? And uh-huh. Intact, right? With Sages products. Uh-huh. And, and, and they, 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 they start to automate, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the work. There's still people involved, obviously. And, uh, and, 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 and so instead of going to you know, a vendor that gives you a lower dollar per hour, just go to Deloitte. And so when they started this, they said, you know, it was a big, big shift. And they did this about four or five years ago. And, and, and now today, they have more subscription or recurring revenue than they have hourly revenue. They still do some hourly, right, for the advanced stuff. Maybe, it, maybe it's estate planning. Maybe it's, you know, international tax planning, right? That stuff, you know, the higher value stuff, you can still charge by the hour, but the basic bookkeeping, month-to-month services, it's simply a fixed monthly fee. And their business has been completely transformed. And it's, it's starting to grow. It's no longer being eroded by the lower-cost providers. Great. I'm, I'm going to leave that alone and let Ron take you up on that because he, he would argue and, and perhaps will in the next segment on why, because it is the high-value items, it is the exact reason why it shouldn't be. <laughs> Build by the hour, <laughs> but right. but we'll 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 talk a little bit more about that in in, a, in your future segment. I did want to see before we get to a break. We've got a, two minutes left. Um, do you make a distinction between an outcome, which is the word that you used, and an output? Right, because oftentimes people what, what we say is people who are buying t- billable time are buying inputs. Right, the hours that it takes to put it together. But then there's also the output, which is the stuff. But then sure. there's the word that you use, which is outcome. Do you have a, a kind of a, a thought in your mind about a distinction between those two things? Well, I hope everybody does have a chance to read the book. But if you boil the book down into one concept, it's this idea of switching from a product mindset to a customer mindset. And so much of business is focused on the product, the product we ship. And so that word output really evokes a product mindset. What is the product that I'm creating? But when you switch to the customer's mindset, the question isn't what is your output. The question is what is the outcome that the customer truly is looking for, right? They're truly looking for bookkeeping services. They're truly looking for trying to get from point A to point B. They're truly looking to get entertained. They want to do some work, right? They want to eat some food. They want to spend time with friends, right? Those are the things that they're truly looking for. How do you deliver that to them, right? Use technology, right? Physical products, digital products, whatever it is, but truly deliver what they're actually looking for. And that's the leap that more and more companies are going through in this, in this new world. Outstanding. Well, we're up against our first break. We want to remind our listeners that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, keeping in mind with our today's theme of the show, which is subscription, we do have now our Patreon site where you can listen to our commercial-free episodes as well as the bonus episodes that Ron and I do. But right now, a word from our sponsor. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. 
These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're honored to be here with Teen Zo, and he's the CEO and founder of Zora and the author of Subscribe, one of our favorite business books of uh, last year. And Teen, I, I wanted to continue the discussion. I, I really like the story you told about Deloitte, and yeah. and uh, I'm a recovering CPA, by the way, and I'm currently a <laughs> chief value officer for a top 25 uh, CPA firm in the country, and I think this uh, model has incredible applicability, and I just would like to know, does um, does Zora have professional firms in their portfolio of customers, and and what are some of your other stories regarding professional firms, be it law, accounting, advertising agencies, consulting, IT consultants, that type of thing? Oh, we, we we absolutely do. I mean, the, the Deloitte example is a great example. Uh, there's 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 work on the consulting side to do things as well, right? That's more of an ongoing retainer basis. Uh, Fenwick and West here in, in Silicon Valley uh, just has a basic startup package where you pay a flat monthly fee. They take care of all your filings, right? You have access to your entire library of documents. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel, and so we're just seeing an enormous amount of innovation. I mean, even uh, just this week, I was down in Atlanta at the PSNI conference, and it was, uh, I was hanging out for two days with audio video professionals. These are the integrators that come into, uh, they can come to your home, but they mostly do office buildings, uh, hotels, conference centers, event centers, and they set up all the TVs and the screens and, 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 and the speakers and, and, and the audio visual equipment. And they're all trying to figure out how to go to a place, what they call it, you know, AVAS or audio visual as a service and have ongoing relationship with their customers that 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 transcends simply you know setting up some 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 TVs and speakers, and so so I, I would say more and more you're seeing the professional services industry moving this way. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, it, like you said, you know, the your idea in the book is to turn uh, customers into you know it's about the relationship. It's not about selling products or services, and and I want to run this. Uh, analogy by you because I've been using this to explain to professional firms how this model could apply. I look at the medical profession. I look at 
many medical practices that have moved to the concierge model, which is more like a boutique, say, law firm or accounting firm, very specialized. Or some of them have moved to a direct primary care model where they might have a larger volume of customers or patients. And I'm just curious, do you have any medical practitioners in, in the customer base of Zora? Well, one example that we love, and in, in to, to, you know, to full disclosure, they're not a customer, but, but we love the one medical model. And so you can see the concierge services where you're paying you know, a premium fee. Uh, it'll make sense, but that's not that's not widespread. One medical has really brought that down to the masses, right? You, you're you're paying a, uh, an, an annual fee to, to to one medical plus some monthly fees, but they're able to change that entire experience. It's a digital experience. Uh, you know, you can view everything online. You can communicate with your your medical professional online when you walk in, right? Even the waiting room feels like you know you're you're in the lobby of a of a high tech startup, right? And it's, it's a completely different experience. And then you can go from one medical centers to, to, to different one medical centers, or we're, we're all just a lot more mobile than we used to be, especially the younger generation. And there's a consistency of care that really starts to transcend even, you know, the regular doctor that you see. And so, so that's a great example of a company that's trying to disrupt the medical industry, the healthcare industry with a very different model. And what intrigues me about that, especially for accountants and law, is you're you're really selling insurance at that point. You know, Ed Ed loves to say that uh, I'd rather be a, a fire insurance salesman than a fireman. And when you can self-insure, like a group of patients, a pool of patients, um, and and just have people pay on a monthly basis for access when they need you. You're 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 all of a sudden now in an actuarial pricing model where you know only ten percent of your patients might consume eighty percent of your resources, but the others are are happy to pay the monthly amount even if they never use it, which is the interesting psychology of insurance. Is, does that play a factor in how oh, you sell this? Well, that is one of the advantages of this model. I mean, that's that that analogy of of, of different usage levels. But everybody having a same shared resource, you could see that apply to you know Google or Salesforce.com with their data centers, right? You could see that apply to um, you know cars in terms of how they're being driven more by Uber and Lyft, and 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 it's a much much more efficient system overall, and it democratizes access to to um, you know to, to to higher value services. Like people couldn't afford Siebel, could afford Salesforce.com. People couldn't afford to set up their own data centers can afford Amazon and Google, right? People can't afford cars even, you know, are, are blessed to have Uber and Lyft now get them to where they need to go. And so that model is, is, is it definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, just as a quick aside with insurance, what we're seeing is in, in, in this new world is oftentimes the insurance is actually embedded in the service itself, right? And so when you use Uber, that car isn't, is insured, but you don't have to think about this, right? It's, it's simply part of the service fees that you, that you pay for. Right. So let, let me let me attempt to climb Mount Everest with you. You talked about Deloitte in Australia and New Zealand. How would you apply the subscription model to a big four accounting firm, let's say, or a or top 100 law firm? I, I, do, would you see it across the entire firm for, a, for an entire group of services, kind of like the medical practice, anything we can do under our roof is covered? Or would you see just some things like they did in New Zealand and Australia where they did the monthly bookkeeping, but then other services might be charged completely on some other type of pricing model? Yeah. 
the key thing here is we're not saying subscriptions has to be a fixed monthly fee. So when we look at Uber, we see that as a subscription service, right? It's something that you use on a repeated basis. It's something you have a one-on-one relationship with. You have an Uber ID or a Lyft ID. Uh, today, they've chosen to monetize that relationship on a per-ride basis. Even that, though, it's a strange combination of things, right? It's, it's what was the time of the day, what was the type of car, was the surge pricing, right? And how far did you go and how far did you wait? How long did you wait? And, and, but you can see there's flexibility in that. And so you see they're doing different things. I mean, Lyft is saying, you know, a big part of our consumers uh, use Lyft to do a daily commute. So they're going to take it two times a day, four or five times a week. And so why don't we launch 299 service, right, to really cover those type of needs so that every day they don't think about, well, today maybe I'll use Uber, tomorrow I'll use Lyft, right? Amazon certainly does that with Amazon Prime. And so you can choose the monetization model, right, the pricing model that meets your specific customer with your specific value proposition. The key to this whole thing is not to think about, you know, charging a fixed fee over time. The key to this whole thing is to say, what do I truly do for my customers? Because we all have customers. And you, you talk about the big four accounting firms. It's already a service. Now, if you start thinking about some of our customers like Caterpillar and Ford, right, these companies that sell physical products, and some of these are million-dollar medical device scanners, industrial printing machines, and they're all able to transcend and transform and say, you know, it's not about the medical device. It's about the scans. It's not about the printing, the printer, right? It's about how often, you know, I'm being used. It's about the flyers, the brochures, and so on and so forth. And, and, and there's no reason why the big four can't say, you know, it's not about selling an hour of service or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's about advice. It's, it's about handling, you know, a function within an organization, a filing function, a reporting function, whatever it happens to be. And that's a much better way of thinking about your business. Right. I mean, it, it kind of ties to something else that you wrote in the book that I absolutely love. You, you wrote that focus on margin and efficiency come at the cost of the relationship between the seller and customer. And, and I mean, that's profound because I, I, I think so many professional firms try and make a profit on every hour or every job or every customer. And they, sh- they, they, they only look at the math of the moment. And they never consider the lifetime value of the customer. And it's also terrible from a customer experience. I mean, as a customer, I don't really want to buy an hour of somebody's time. You know, if I'm forced to do that, then, then, then I got to, okay, is it worth an hour? What I want is I've got a problem, right? I, I, I need some advice. I need someone to file my taxes, right? I need someone to generate financial statements. I need bookkeeping. Um, and, and I love to be able to talk about that, the value of that, and feel like I'm paying a, a, a good price for those type of services. Right. You're, like you say, you want, you want the outcome. You know, if I'm hiring a landscaper, I want the best curbside appeal in the neighborhood. I don't care how they get there. That's right. Just focus me on the outcome. You know, the other thing, Teen, that I found really interesting about your book, I mean, the, the, the idea that we can, you know, subscribe to an automobile, Porsche and Hyundai and Cadillac and all that, that that's fascinating. But, but airlines, you made a really interesting point. 200 million frequent flyers are up for grabs. Now, Ed and I are in that category. We fly a lot. We're top flyers. How do you see the major carriers adopting a subscription model, at least for some of their frequent flyers like us? Well, we're, we're, we certainly see the big carriers of some of these. You know, we, we do 
their infrastructure, um, sell subscription services, right? So, so here's a membership service that gets you Wi-Fi for the year. Here's a membership service where um, you know you get priority boarding, right? Uh, some of the more innovative things that we see is probably more in the smaller companies, the startups, and so Surfair is basically saying, look, let's 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 revolutionize the whole experience. For two thousand dollars a month, you can fly anywhere in California, right? That we fly, and we fly to I think eight or nine different cities plus Las Vegas, and you just whip out your phone, right? We show you the next plane, we show you the seats, you grab a seats, and 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 away you go, and it just completely changes your experience, and and you know you don't have to do all that advanced planning, right? You 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 can go when you need to go. And there's lots of people that are doing the Northern California, Southern California route almost as a commute by taking advantage of these surf air services. And they've just completely changed the experience of, of, of travel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the other thing, when you list all the advantages of this model, um, the, the one that really, I think, hit home is it, it, it totally breaks down silos inside of an organization. I mean, professional firms love to talk about the one, you know, we're one firm, but they're really not. They're more like roommates sharing rent or dorm, dorm mates. And right. this, this model absolutely does tear down the silos, doesn't it? Well, we try to write the book in, in, in sort of two halves, right? The first half is to show what, what does it mean to run a subscription-based business, right? One that's focused on the customer. There's a diagram there that shows a shift of thinking of shipping products to providing services and values to customers that are subscribers. And we show that for different industries just to bring out the imagination. And so you can figure out how it applies to your industry in different ways. Then the second half book, we go inside the company. Right? We go inside the company and say, this really changes how you develop your products, your R&D, right, if you will. It changes how you mark, how you do your marketing. It changes how you do sales. It changes how you think about your financial model, right, and the role of the CFO himself or herself. And it changes the role of, of, of your IT systems, if you will. But what you touched on is one of the more profound things, right? In, 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 in the old model where it was about shipping as many units as you can, it's about scale, it's about reducing costs per unit, we built up these functional silos, right? The marketing department is in this building. The sales department is in this building. And we minimize the interaction between these two departments. And now when a customer comes along and says, look, I, I want something completely different. I don't want you to sell me a product. I want you to understand my outcome and deliver it to me as a service. And I want to engage in your customer-facing part of your organization, right? The customer support folks, the sales folks, the people in the stores, um, your online e-commerce site. Right? I want to do it in a completely different way. And we're finding is this is this is forcing companies to really, really tear down the silos. And so the last chapter in the book, we even talk about a completely different operating model that encourages more cross-functional interaction than the traditional operating models that we have in, in, in the way traditional companies are run. And I would imagine that you see much more innovation from companies that have adopted this model. Is that fair? Well, this is, I, I, what we see happen is, and it's not a surprise, right? When you go to your company and you say, it's about the customer, let's live what the customer needs every day. Let's figure out how we can use our innovations, our expertise, right, our people to create a better experience for the customer, better outcomes for the customer. It tends to be galvanizing, right? It can, tends to be galvanizing for the organization. You see organizations all of a sudden that have found their true mission, and, 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 and I would go so far as to say it, it radically transforms the culture of the organization when we see them go through this, 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 this transformation to what we call a customer-centric or a subscription culture. 
Sure, sure. Oh, that's great. Unfortunately, team, we're up against our next break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we continue now with our interview with Teen So, author of Subscribed, Why the Subscription Model Will Be Your Company's Future and What to Do About It. And on that subject of what to do about it, Teen, one of the things that Ron and I hear over and over again in our work with professional firms is, I see how architects could do it, or I see how lawyers could do it, or I see how Caterpillar or Ford could do this. But I, I basically see how any other business besides me could do this, right? right? <laughs> but so what, what, where do you go? Are there some, some exercises, some questions that you like to plant to get people thinking differently around the topic of subscribed? Yeah, uh, we, we hear this all the time. I and mean, we used to play this game as well. We used to play a game uh, uh, during the evenings where we're sitting around, you know, after a late night, late, late, a long day of working. Uh, you know, maybe there's a beer, a glass of wine. And, and what is the industry that's never going to go subscriptions, right? Is this cement? Is it, is it tractors, right? I mean, how do you subscribe to cement? And, and then one day a floor company shows up and say, says, look, you know, we have a smart floor that people subscribe to. <laughs> and it blew our minds. And you've seen this with furniture and, and all these other physical products as well. And so, so, you know, these companies can do it. Certainly, you know, professional services companies can do it. But, but I understand it. Oftentimes it's, it's how do we, it, it's, you're stuck on your product and you're just trying to figure out how to, how to price the product in a different way. And so what we always ask is to start with the customer, right? And just like take a list of all your customers. And then you start to say, well, actually, who is a customer? Is there somebody that bought our services a year ago, six months ago, three months ago? All right. Well, who's an active customer? And, and what does that really mean? 
And then, you know, how much is each customer worth? And what do we actually do for the customer? And there are other things that we can do for the customer that makes sense for us to do. All right. And then is there a way to rethink what we do for the customer, right, in, in a way that more resonates with how they think about the relationship, right, versus how we think about the relationship? And so, again, it's not about hours. It's about bookkeeping. It's not about selling movies. It's about entertainment, right? And, and if you just do that, you know, for, say, every week for, the, for 90 days, you'll start to see that you can see things in a completely different way when you start seeing it from the perspective of the customer. And then let that take you to, to, to where your business really should go. Yeah, outstanding. Good stuff. There's a concept in the book that you talk about swallowing the fish, which is, so say I'm bought in, I see how I can get past this, and now I have to swallow the fish, which is when my revenue curve dips temporarily um, below the operating expenses before climbing backward because people are moving over for, to, to the subscription model. And I wonder if in your work uh, with professional firms, do you see that it applies more or less or about the same to professional firms as opposed to those that were really focused on physical products, let's say? It's probably slightly different because I, I think some of those stories were companies that used to t- take, say, you know, $10,000 uh, up front, and now they're taking you know, $1,000 a year, $2,000 a year. I think the transition for a professional services firm is really to, to start to shake the hourly mindset, and uh, I don't know that they need to go through that whole trough. But I, I think here's, here's the broader message. We share that story because for companies that do have to go through a trough, we want them to know there's growth on the other side. And, and that's the key thing. I mean, our data shows that subscription revenue, companies with subscription revenues, they tend to grow anywhere from five to eight times faster, right? We have this thing, we, we're, we're, we look at our customers, we look at you know, the data flowing through our servers, we anonymize it, we publish it. We call it subscription economy index. We've been doing this for three or four years now. And every quarter, the subscription economy index continues to grow five to eight times faster than, than say, the revenues of the S&P 500, right, just to pick a compare point. And, um, you know, and, and that's, that's really, really exciting. And you might say, well, gosh, how could it be? How could it, that difference be so big? And, and you think about a company that has to start from zero in terms of revenues every single quarter, right, and chase every single unit of sales, every single hour of sales, right, and it's, it's just harder, but when you have recurring revenue where you have customers that you know are engaged with you today and are going to gauge, continue to engage with you next quarter, right? they're getting value from whatever it is that you, pro- you provide. And, um, and, and um, in, in, in your revenue model is, is stable because it's built on that regular interaction. Then you wake up in the morning, right, one quarter, and you say, look, I kind of know what my revenues are going to be this quarter. Right. And it creates a much more stable place. And then what you do is you focus on, okay, well, now how can I build on top of that? And so these recurring subscription companies, they start every quarter saying, how can I build on the revenues that I already have? Right. How can I make sure it doesn't erode? Right. Managing churn, if you will. But how can I build upon that? And so that's why these companies are much, much easier to turn into growth businesses, which is why the entire software industry has moved to this model. Sure. 
Yeah, as as we continue to do at, at Sage as well, and thanks for the mention of us in your book. We appreciate that. Um, last question for me, and then I'll turn it over for Ron. Ron what, what can we learn from the, the lessons from some of the oldest subscription companies? I thought this was an, an interesting point. You know, the Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Economist finally made the, the, the transition from their uh, subscription service that they did, the physical, to the, the online, right? And they, they learned some things that – what, what how they had to change. What what can we in say professional services learn from the, that transition that they made? Because it was it was interesting. They were going from subscription model to subscription model, but they they struggled as well. Well, yeah, there's there's probably two lessons from from the subscription world from the past. Uh, you know, one is positive, and one one might be more of a, a warning, right? But um, the subscription models of the past, you, when, when, if there's somebody that you would say, hey, you've always been a subscription business. You know, I subscribe to the newspapers being delivered my home. I subscribe to magazines. And then the switch to digital for about five to 10 years, they, these newspaper magazines were convinced that companies would not pay for the digital product, even though they paid during the physical product, right? Which, which never really made any sense. I think they were just clouded by an, an advertising uh, mindset, revenue mindset. But when they finally went to their customers who like loved the brand, loved the content, you know, really trusted this brand to help them you know, find out what's going on in the world, if you will, right? In the area of politics, sports, food, entertainment, whatever it is that the, the newspaper, the magazine did, uh, that these, cu- these customers, these people were saying, of course, of course I'd subscribe to you, right? Because I get value from what, it, what you do. And so in the last three to five years, we've seen, whether it's the New York Times, the Seattle Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Economist, just seeing their subscriber base in the digital world really just start to grow exponentially. And, and, and they're doing, doing really, really, really well, right? Some people say it's a political environment, but no, even the, the, the newspapers and magazines that are focused on arts and entertainment, they, they've really seen the same thing. Um, the more cautionary tale would probably come from the old subscription boxes, right? You might remember these things, right? You know, Columbia House, you get 13 DVDs for the price of one. Right, and what these guys are—I uh, go back to the thir- thir- thirteen albums on the <laughs> made out of right. vinyl for a penny. <laughs> That's right, for a penny, or a book of the month club. Right, and and these companies were hoping that that you would subscribe and you'd just be too lazy to cancel. Right, and yeah. you know, there's rumor out there that that AOL still has two million people out there paying every month for dial-up. Right. Hard to believe. Right. But 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 that's not the modern subscription business. You know, our data, that's the same data that shows that subscription businesses are growing eight times faster. Right. than the non subscription business. It also shows that when customers are really engaged with you, you actually can grow even faster. And so we're seeing, you know, the set and forget it guys. Right. Just charge them 10 bucks a month, ten thousand dollars a year. Don't worry about it. Uh, and they just pay and they don't really use a service. Right. Uh, but the companies that where customers are coming back and making a change to their subscription, a change can be anything. It could be, look, I'm on vacation. I want to pause it. I want to upgrade to the next tier. I want to add more users. I want to add more capabilities. Right? These companies actually grow twice as fast as the set and forget it guys. And then the companies have an extreme level of change where every one of their subscribers comes back every year and changes their subscription plans. They're growing three times faster. And so the lesson is really, really clear, right? The, the subscription business is about, let's start with the customer. Of course, you guys have customers. Of course, you provide value to those customers, right? And, and focus on that value. Focus on a continuous value. Focus on growing that value. And then tie your subscription model to a way where the customer sees that value, right? Or it relates 
the amount they pay to the value that they're getting, which is not per hour, right? It's something else. It could be per, per invoice, per, 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 per month, right? Per tax, you know, you know, return, whatever it happens to be. And then just focus on delivering value for your customers and then your business naturally grows, right? And when that all locks in, that's when you really see the power of these businesses, these power of these new, new, new subscription-based business models. Right, team. This is Ron again, and and on that customer point, you know, you talk about how you have to have them keep renewing and reengaging, and you talk about three different metrics: recency, frequency, and volume. And in, and in addition, I was just wondering: are there other predictive indicators that you've kind of ferreted out from your customer base of of what predicts a customer is going to, you know, like not churn or, or at least keep engaging and renewing? Are there various other KPIs that you've kind of constructed? Well, I'd say two answers from, from, from an interaction uh, standpoint. Uh, When we were at Salesforce, we looked at, you know, 100, 200 different pieces of data and we just realized, hey, just how often they log in Right, but being a software as a service product was 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 sufficient. Right, it was going to drive a huge amount of correlation, huge amount of value, and so I, I would say look for something simple. Right, look for some simple, simple measure of engagement, and just start with that. Don't 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 overdo it. If they're engaged, they're a customer, they're a subscriber. If they're not, that's a warning flag. And the second thing I'd say is given given your audience, you know, skews towards professional services firms, lots of CPAs. We have a whole chapter in the book that looks at financial statements and looks at the role of the modern CFO, you know, controller, finance executive, finance professional. And, and the message there is we even build a whole different income statement, right, that we call a recurring income statement that, that, that separates our recurring revenue from non-recurring revenue and then recast the income statement so you're matching recurring expenses to recurring revenue in a very different way. And then what the implications of that is how you run your business. And the lesson there is when you do these things right, your recurring revenue actually winds up being a really, really powerful competitive weapon. And the one example we threw in the book was actually Netflix. And if you look at what's going on in that industry, right, people are basically saying, look, Netflix, you're, 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 you're spending so much on content that you're just doing something stupid. You're going to destroy the industry. And, and it just doesn't make any sense. You're going to put everybody out of business. Uh, and Netflix looks at it a different way. Netflix says, you know, we have 100 million subscribers. I think they're up to 140 million, but let's just use 100 million as a round number. And we get about $100 a year, $10 a month, $100 a year. I think it, you know, they even just raise their prices too. So that number is bigger. But if you take 100 million subscribers plus $100 a year, you get $10 billion of recurring revenue. And it really only costs them, when you look at it, about $2, $2.5 billion to service that. Right. This is the, the streaming capability, the network costs, the storage costs, the bandwidth costs. And so they're saying, look, we have a lot of cash flow that we can use. And, and you know, when we buy a piece of content, we're not like the movie studios where if we spend $100 million on a piece of content, that, that, you know, that movie better produce two, $300 million of revenue. We already have subscribers. Right. So we just want to have a balanced way of saying, look, if we're going to spend five, six, seven billion dollars a year, right, our free cash flow on content. Well, what percent of our content is going to be to keep people coming back, right? Because you got to give them fresh content. And what content do we want to use to push into brand new areas, right? Should we invest in, in content for kids, content for sports enthusiasts, right? Content for Latin America, whatever it happens to be. And you can see it's just a very, very different psychology. And we spent a whole chapter in the book to empower the finance folks, right? So now you think about your, you know, your listeners, 
if they can actually provide that type of expertise and then go into their customers and say, look, I don't want to just run your books. I want to, you, I want to show you how you can use not just your balance sheet, but your income statement, right, in, in a way that drives you competitive advantage. That just transforms the relationship. Right. No, I loved how you uh, kind of took gap to task for not <laughs> being a good fit to report on this new no, model. It's a terrible fit. It, yeah, it, it really is, isn't it? And, I, and it just, I love some of the new metrics and wording that you, you know, annual recurring revenue and annual contract value, and then you redid the income statement. W- what's been the feedback from CFOs when you show them that? <laughs> well, there, there's certainly initial feedback or skepticism. Okay, we've heard of non-GAAP, we've heard of alternative things, but when they really take the spend time you know, to spend to, uh, to to analyze it, it's, it's transformational. I mean, that that model is being used. We, we hear it all the time. We hear finance CFOs come back and say, you know, that chapter changed how we think about things. And, and now we have a whole different way of running our business. Sure. And Tina, we've only got a couple of minutes. I know you have to go, but um, what does Zora do? Why don't you explain Zora and, and what you guys do and what you offer? I know we've been spending this whole time talking about the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the book really comes from our experiences working with, you know, thousands of companies uh, around the world in all different industries. And the reason we work with them is these dynamic customer-centric business models drive a lot of change, both in back office processes, right? How you how you close the books, how you send out invoices, how how you, how you collect right off a credit card or through POs, and even even how you do revenue recognition. And then the systems, the systems that support all these things, really really have to change. And so think of us as a as a back office system that controls pricing, e-commerce, quoting, billing, collections, and revenue recognition but all built around a recurring business or customer-centric business model, if you will, right? So we help you scale your business. We help you stay dynamic and iterate with your customers. And ultimately, we help you grow subscription businesses, and we do this for thousands of companies around the world. Sure. Are you applying any artificial intelligence in that process? Yeah, so we're, we're definitely starting to do more and more of that, right? And so so some of the, the, the statistics that I talked about, the five to eight times growth, right? What type of, of, of customer grows faster than and other types of customers? That's all being done of our, out of our data scientist group. And they use, you know, high-end statistics and artificial intelligence to really derive all that. And eventually, we want to push all that all the way back to, uh, to our customers as well. And do you offer consulting on helping uh, companies go through the change management that's required to make this transition or... Yeah, we partner with Deloitte, McKinsey, Accenture, really you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers, really all companies around the world. Ultimately, we're a software company. Our business model is a software as a service, right? Software as a subscription business model. But what we do do, and the reason why we wrote the book, is we think the best way to learn about this is, is, is to talk to other companies and be inspired by their stories. So in addition to the book, we also hold our conferences, our subscribed conferences around the world. I think in the past six months we've done Milan, Tokyo, Sydney, Singapore, right, uh, Amsterdam, and 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 really our goal is to is is to bring customers together, give them a, a framework for thinking about right their businesses, but really let them share best practices and information and, and just lessons and stories with each other. That's fantastic. Well, Teen, we'll link to all of this and the company and your book and uh, in our show notes. And just want to thank you so much for for coming on The Soul of Enterprise. This has been a lot of fun being able to talk to you. You wrote a great book and wish you the best of luck. Great. Thanks a lot. And thanks to Sage for being a fantastic customer and partner. 
All right. Thank you. Well, folks, uh, we're up against the break. And if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody teen has left the building or the studio as they say ed but the uh, virtual space <laughs> that was uh that was fantastic it was great to be able to chat with him he obviously uh is the chief evangelizer for this model and i just really respect that because people that are out there evangelizing and you know taking the arrows are the ones that that really make a difference and that's uh, inspiring yeah, no, no, great, great stuff. And I, 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 we've got to figure out a way to get to one of those conferences. I think there's some really good stuff to be had there for sure. Well, wow, they're all over the world. So I know <laughs> he's he's been really holding those. I, you can catch a couple. You, I watched a couple YouTube's of um, like his keynote at you know some of the older ones, like from 2014, I think. And mm-hmm. you could you can if you just YouTube Dan, you can find lots of. Um, appearances and videos of of him but um yeah just you know it it's it's apparent that this is kind of a two-step stage first we got to move professional firms off of hourly billing because that's obviously just so incompatible with a subscription model mm-hmm. um but then once that happens then the i guess the question is where do you go from there you know, how do you do this hybrid thing? And I mean, still a lot of work to be done, but there's no doubt in my mind this is completely doable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was interesting when you asked him the question about the CFOs and their initial response and his 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 reply was, you know, yeah, there's an initial pushback, but then then they get it and see that it's transformational in terms of their business. I'm like, he's he's never met with the CFO of a professional service organization because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> 
<laughs> all, my apologies to all of you who listen to the show who are no I mean honestly the, the the controller CFO of professional service organizations honestly have been the most difficult nuts to crack with this whole thing oh, absolutely usually they're you know they're former people who used to bill by the hour and now they've been in charge of put it put in, in charge of you know making sure that all of that 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 stuff happens in the background and man what a nightmare well yeah curiously you know enough that? though they don't fill out a timesheet which i always thought was weird <laughs> uh, some of them do ed oh god <laughs> just so you know Um, but you you know when yeah that's why i think when he wrote you know focus on margin and efficiency come at the cost of the relationship between the seller and the customer that's just another way of reframing kind of the effing debate that we've had for for years but it's so true that when boy when you start focusing on margin and and all of that it's just such the wrong focus you need to keep the focus on the relationship with the customer Mm -hmm. and and that in and of itself is a lifetime annuity. Right. Selling a service is a one-off event, and you might be one and done. Mm-hmm. And this model changes that. That's why I love – it changes the focus, and it breaks down the silos. It, it That alone makes it worth it, in my mind. It, it, you know, it's kind of like the after-action review that it increases future performance. That alone makes it better than both annual performance appraisals and timesheets. Right. Just right. that one thing. <laughs> yeah. No, good stuff. Well, look, I, I think that where we, we probably need to go with this is we'll continue to explore some of these ideas. And what's, what's fun is sort of is playing with it on, on the Patreon site too, right? You know, sure. what can we start to build in to, to get people to subscribe there? Uh, and again, we will love our voice. America will for, forever be here, but the, 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 the challenge is just interesting. And I'm sure that, you know, they're probably thinking about that, that, that this in a way too. So curious to see, but good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was a lot of fun. Did, uh, shout out to <clears throat> Thomas for lining that up. He, he lined that one up, didn't he? He did. He did. He got us an initial conversation with them. And then, of course, shout out to Greg, who's handling our social media now. Had a, a, a real good conversation with him this morning. And we, we were actually I, we, I kind of honed that uh, end of ownership and subscription thing because he, he's you know do, doing our stuff similarly. So, you know, same same yeah. kind of deal. So uh, great stuff. All right. Well. What's on store next week, Ed? Next week, quick. Ron, we are live from San Diego at the 90 Minds Conference. Great. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific for our live version from 90 Minds. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.